So, we are in a brand new series that is amazing, and it's going to transform everything about all of you. Are you very excited about that? Because I'm totally jazzed about it, okay? This is going to be awesome. It's called The Cross-Centered Life. And before we go any further in the series, the question that I have to ask you is this. What is at the center of your life? Now, when I ask that, I wonder if you know what I mean. I mean that thing that propels everything else. That thing that you might not be able to identify right now, this moment, but that thing that makes decisions for everything else. You have a center of your life that helps you make decisions, choose wisely or unwisely, helps you to go in one direction or another. You have a center of your life. Now, if you're not sure about that, and if you don't believe that, let me, let me give you a test, okay? It's a very simple test I think you can answer. Have you ever looked at the rearview mirror of your life as you're driving down the highway of life and looked and said, what was I thinking when looking at your past? Have you ever done that? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Yeah, like I, you, you look at your past and you go, good night, what was I smoking that I, 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 I connected with that person, right? So, right, so ladies, some of you have experiences, right, where you had um, uh, boyfriends who were musicians. The most annoying thing to, is to have boyfriends who are musicians, right, because they always want to show you. Right, 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 right. The musicians go, uh, uh, right, because what happens, right? If you're a boyfriend and you're a musician, you go, honey, honey, come listen to this song <laughs> that I just wrote. None of the musicians are laughing. But it's true. The musicians, uh, uh, they, they go like that. And, and you, know, you go, listen to this song. And you're like, oh, wow, that was great. And then you go, what was I thinking going out with that guy, right? And so, and so or, 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 or guys, you go, wow, she was so cute, but she was a nut job. And you go, why was I with her? And you go, you look at the rearview mirror of your life, and no matter where, where, whether it was a silly boyfriend or a silly girlfriend, whether it was a bad decision or a poor job, whether it was something that brings you deep, deep shame, or something that you just laugh at a few years later, there's something that propels you to make those decisions, isn't there? There's something. When you go, what was I thinking? Perhaps you don't see it in yourself, but this is something that's very easy to see in others, isn't it? Where you look at their lives and you go, there is something propelling them. There is a center to them. I don't know what it is, but there's something guiding them. You've seen it in your friends. They're going out with somebody who's just not the right person for them. Might be the right person for someone else, maybe not the right person for them. And so you go, you know, you go to your friend and you go, oh, but can't you see? And you go, I know this person. They're reasonable. They're college educated. They're, 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 they, 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 they make reasonable decisions with their finances and everything else. But when it comes to this one thing, they're just it makes no sense. You know what propels your decisions as you look down at the rearview mirror of life, as you look in your past? You know what propels those decisions that you regret and even the, the decisions that you enjoy? You know what propels your friend to, tell, uh, to make decisions that you see? Clearly, again, difficult to see in the mirror, easy to see in someone else. Do you know what makes people make decisions, it's the center of who they are. One time in my life, I was a musician. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it now, but at one time I lived for music. It was all I did. I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning and I would practice my guitar, and I would practice scales, and I would practice different chords, and I would practice rhythms. I would practice with the metronome, and then I would practice with records. I would practice, well, some of you don't even know what record is, right? Um, and it's like, you know, I would practice with music, right? Um, recorded music. And, um, 
and I would do, and I would practice till about seven o'clock in the morning. Then I would get ready for work, go to work, come back, and practice some more. Everything in life. And if you asked me, hey, you want to come with me to the movies, or you want to come with me to a hike, or go running, I would check that in terms of what I was doing with my music. See, it was easy. It's easy to look back and go, oh, okay, music was the center of my life. And because I had a center, the decisions that I made were music-centered. Sometime later, as I got older, um, and I, I gained in years, about 15, 16, well, actually younger than the whole music thing, but um, whenever I, I got a girlfriend or something like that, my whole life centered on that person. Do you understand what I'm talking about when you center your whole life on a person? Has anybody else ever done that, right? Has anybody, yeah, just maybe one or two of you, right? I, I get that, yeah. And so, like, you know, where, where you go, oh, man, right? So she, you know, you go, man. He's just, and you just start making decisions based on him. Or you, go, you make decisions based on her. Nobody else in your life understands the decisions that you're making and why you're making them, but you understand because you're making them based on him or her. No matter where you are in life, no matter what it is, what stage of life you're in, no matter what it, uh, that issue of life is, you have something that helps you make decisions. It's the center of who you are. So I ask again, what's at your core? What's at your center? Another way of being able to find out what's at your center is answering this question. I am happy if... Fill in the blank. What was it? I almost want to make you say it out loud. I am happy if... This relationship goes well. I am happy if the house sells for the price that I want to. I am happy if I get that promotion. I am happy if I look good for this date. I am happy if... I don't know what it is. You do, don't you? In fact, as soon as I said, I am happy if something... Knee jerk just kind of came up. I am happy if my grades are great. I am happy if people like me. I am happy if I'm seen as beautiful. I am happy if my needs are satisfied. I am happy if I am being pleased. I am happy if, if I'm the center of the universe. I am happy if, whatever it is, everybody has a center, and you can find it in different ways, but this question of I am happy if is very telling. Because it tells what the center of our lives are. Everybody has a center. The question isn't if I have a center. The question is, what on earth is the center of my life? And is it worth me basing the rest of my life around? Everyone, though has a center. So, I, I, at one time, it, for me, like I said, it was guitar. And I was playing my guitar, and one day, somewhere between 4.30 and 7 o'clock in the morning, I was done practicing my guitar, and I was about putting, you know, I was going to put it on the stand, and I, and I remember saying this to myself, I am so happy when I play my guitar. As long as I can play guitar, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. And then a thought came into my mind without my permission. Have you ever had one of those? A thought that just comes into your mind, and it's not like you were wanting to think that thought. In fact, the thought is like a grain of sand in your eye. It's irritating. It does, it's not something that you want to address, right? Or, or maybe it's a grain of sand in an oyster that can perhaps uncover a pearl of wisdom. It's something that irritates that can bring about something beautiful. Well, the irritating question was this. What if you don't have your guitar anymore? Like guitars break, 
People steal guitars. Guitars get lost. What if you don't have your guitar? Where is your center? Where is your core? Where is your happiness? I didn't have an answer. Because my happiness, I could deal with the stress with marriage. I could deal with the stress with having children, stress at work. So, so long as I could come back to the thing that made me happy. What is at the center of your life? What is at the core of your life? That you could, you know, you could take this, you could take this. If I said, let's put up all the things that make up your life. And I put them up on this stage, and we had them all piled together. And if I said, now let's take one out, and you would take one out. And then I did that a hundred times. What would be the one thing left on the shelf? What is the center of your life? It could be positive. It could be negative. It could be something that brings you satisfaction, or maybe it's something that brings satisfaction to someone else, and it makes you feel significant. I don't know. Maybe you just want to please the people around you. My point is, you know, it's the thing that makes you do what you do when you do what you do. Now, here's the thing. All of us are going to have something at the core of who we are, something at the center of our being. All of us are going to have to deal with that thing that's central to who we are. Some of us, our wives and our husbands could leave so long as there's enough money in the account to get through. For some of us, it's, I just need the next one. What, what, what are you talking No, 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 it's the next one. What, what are you referring to? It doesn't matter. It changes throughout time, but it's always the next one. Some of us, it's significance. Others, it's security. I remember when um, my world was rocked uh, years ago. Uh, I became homeless, not very many years ago, about 2007. And I became homeless with my family. And I remember laying on my bed, and a thought came to me. And the thought was this. I was complaining to God about my situation. You ever talk to God and tell him things that he don't know? I do that sometimes. I do that all the time. I go, God, can't you see what's going on here? This is terrible. Are you not paying attention? This is awful. We're homeless. And I'm telling God things that he doesn't know. And, um, and I remember a thought coming to me. Hey, Ed, if I gave you the house and I gave you the finances and I gave you the security and I gave you everything else that you wanted, everything that would make you happy, and I wasn't there, would you be happy? In other words, if I gave you heaven without Jesus, would you want to go? And you know, I'm a professional, right? I'm a professional Christian, right? I get paid to do this, right? And my answer is kind of shameful. But, you know, and then the other question, which followed very closely, one of those irritating sand in the oyster questions, what if I gave you myself and none of those other things? Could that be heaven for you? Oh, dear. I don't know. I, I, can I try out this fun place? <laughs> I mean, well, how do you answer that, right? And then the question is, it goes back to, what is your center. Because if you find your center to be any of these other things, they come and they go, they're there and they're not, they're here and then they're gone. But God knows that we have a center. God knows that we long to have a center. God knows that we need. Nature abhors a vacuum. So God knows that we have to center our lives on something, anchor our lives on something. And God goes, I got an idea. Why don't you make the center of your life something that will never pass away? Something that will never leave or forsake. 
So we go into our Bibles and God is going to speak to us about having a center of our lives. And this, in fact, is the very series that we're starting today, the cross-centered life. God, Christ, wants to be the center of our life. Christ wants to be at the very core of who we are. That's not very appealing, is it? For some of us, that's just like the last thing we want. You know what we want? Most of us, if we got honest, we want to punch in our morality card. We want to come to church on Sunday, feel good about doing that, punch out, and live life the way we've always lived in, just a little bit more comfortable, a little less guilt. That's, that's the desire of our heart. And Christ says, no, 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 no. I want to be at the very core of your life. I want to be at the very center of your life. I want to be at, the, at that place that affects every other place. God knows we're going to have a center to our lives, and so he decided to write in his word. We're going to go into the book of Colossians. Now, if you did not come with the Bible, we love you and we think of you. And so I want you to go into your bulletin, and in your bulletin, you're going to have the scriptures that you and I are going to go through. Now, as you open up your bulletin, I want you to look. The book of Colossians was written to Christians about making Christ the center of their lives. And we're going to look at a very small portion, but a very thick portion of Scripture. Now, I was actually tempted to take this part, uh, a lot of the Scripture out, because it was so thick and it could be so confusing, but I realized that the 12 o'clock service are the smart people. Don't tell the 10 o'clock. And I recognize that you guys would put on your thinking caps and that we would, in fact, be able to navigate through this. But the question that I want you to just ask yourself is this. What is the center of your life? What is the thing that motivates everything else? Is it fear? Is it longing to be seen as beautiful? Is it insecurity? Is it... Is it Is it the future? Is it him? Is it her? Is it the money or the property? What is at the center of your life? What would you throw your kid under the bus for? Is it your kid? You understand what I'm saying? What is it that you would sacrifice everything for? And I say, and, and I ask, you know, what is it you would throw your kid under the bus for? Is it your kid? Have you ever seen a kid who has made the center of the universe in their world? Do you know what happens to that kid? They spend the rest of their lives wondering why the rest of the world doesn't follow their program. It's a great curse to make your child. Listen, it's a horrible thing to make a good thing like your kids a God thing. To make them the God of your... But listen, hey, listen. I remember somebody who loved Jesus and they stopped coming to church because of Little League. Little League. Little League. Come on, Johnny, get that one ball. Oh, you'll get it next time. Little League. Listen to this. And I watched his entire life fall apart because his center. The kid's not playing Little League anymore. He's doing other stuff. And the marriage is not strong. And it saw things fall apart. And I go, that could have gone differently. That didn't have to go that way. What? Listen, listen, listen. What? Have you thought of it yet? What is at the center of your life? Do you like what you find? What is at the center of your life? What is the thing? 
let me tell you what happens in church services. Can I tell you what happens in church services? And this is terrible. Um, and it happens everywhere else. If you make a 12-step meeting, it'll happen here. If you, if, you, if you go to a therapist, it'll happen here. If you go to a psychologist, it'll happen there. If you listen to your guru, it'll happen there. This is what happens, right? And it's not biblical Christianity. It's like American Christianity and American other stuff, right? But it's this. You have this filter, right? It's right here, right? And occasionally, you're taught how to strengthen your filter. And if you're a good boy and a good girl, you, you, man, you have industrial strength filters. But occasionally, something gets out. Oh! You say it and you regret it. You do it and you wish you hadn't. You, you, you act on it and you go, what was, again, we go back to that, what was I thinking? And so you go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to strengthen the filter. I'm going to be better at suppressing all that other stuff, but you never get to the root of the issue. And the root of the issue, let me tell you what it is. It's the thing at your center. It's who you are. What is it? Are you still looking for dad's approval? Is he even looking anymore? What? Is it? So God knows that we need to address our, our, our center, the thing that's at the very core of who we are. And he gave us these verses. Now, I'm going to read these verses, but this is going to be an incredibly Quentin Tarantino-esque sermon. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say this? I'm saying that it's going to have no logical order. It's going to, you're going to see the last part first, and then you're going to see the third part second, and then you're going to see the eighth part forth, and it's going to be weird, and you're going to be like, but I'm going to get you back to this one thing. Listen to me. What is at the center of your life? Are you thinking of it? Is it in your mind? Is it an insecurity, a fear, a loathing? Of, is it, are, are you, what is it? Here's another way. What's the thing you're most afraid of? What's the thing you fear the most? Is it being exposed? Is it being... What is it that you're most afraid of? That is very indicative as to what is the center of who you are. Do you have it in your mind? Maybe I'm talking too fast. Think about it. What are you most afraid of? What if it happened, you would die? Some of you think death. <laughs> Some of you think if she left, if he left. Some of you think if I lost, if my bank account zeros went less. I don't know. What is it? What is it? Growing up old by myself, I would die if that happened. Not having kids, I would die. If that happened, not being loved, I would die. If that happened, if this thing falls apart, I would die. What are you most afraid of? Two really good questions. I am happy if, or if this happened, I would die. What is it? I don't know. Have you thought of it? Do you have it in your mind? Is it there? Christ wants to speak to us about our center. I'm going to read straight through this, and then we're going to come back. Again, very Quentin Tarantino-esque, but you're going to get your money's worth. So um, stick around. Um, <laughs> some of you don't do any money. So there you go. Um, verse 6. Look at verse 6. We're going to go 6 through 15, then we're going to jump down to 20, then we're going to talk about it, okay? Fair enough? Or I'm going to talk about it. You'll listen, and then you get to talk about it with each other when you leave. Okay, here we go. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, through, which depends on human traditions, on the basic principles of the world, of this world, rather than... On Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity 
lives in bodily form and you have been given the fullness of in Christ, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority in him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature not with circumcision done by the hands of men but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead when you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jump to verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Look up at me. Everybody say, huh? What was that? It was a massive dissertation on your center. And we're going to pick it apart, starting with the last verse. Let's look at it. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world. Look up at me, look up at me, look up at me. Since you died to Christ to the basic principles of this world. Let me ask you something. First, it's since you suggest that something has already happened, does it not? Right? Since this has already happened, now, there are some of you who are here, and you're like, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not in Christ. I wouldn't say I'm in Christ. That's not, that's not the way I would describe myself. In fact, I would describe myself as spiritual but certainly not Christ-centered, certainly not um, Christ-exalting. That's, that's not how I would label myself. Then you get off, because I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those of you who would say, yes, yes, Christ is at the center. And if there's something in you that says, no, 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 wait, I wouldn't describe myself that way, but, but I think I'm still a Christian. Well, no, 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 no. To be a Christian means to have Christ at the center of who you are. See, in America, we've been taught to mentally ascend to ideas. Do you know what I mean by mentally ascend? We talked about this a few weeks ago. That we think that believe, if somebody goes, do you believe in Jesus? We go, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Sure, I believe in Jesus. Me and Jesus, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm like that with Jesus. And you just go, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But that's not the kind of stuff that the Bible's talking about when it talks about believe. What you and I mean when we say we believe in Jesus, a lot of us in different stages of our life, what we mean by when we say believe in Jesus, we mean that, oh yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord, but it doesn't affect anything else in your life. It's like saying, oh yeah, I believe that, uh, you know, if I gave you a Rolls Royce, and you go, oh yeah, I believe that that's my car, and go, well, you don't drive it, you don't take it anywhere, you never get behind the wheel, you never open the door, you never take it out, you never even move it side to side. What? Yeah, yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe it's mine, but I just don't want to use it. I just don't want to experience it. Well, it's, not a, it's as good as not having it, isn't it? And so when the Bible speaks about believing in Christ, it's this, always this, and again, it's tricky because the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. Everybody understands that, right? That the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic thrown in there. And so when you're translating something from Greek to English, you need to be able to substitute words, and sometimes you don't get it. And believe is the right word, by the way, but it's more than just believe. It's like, believe, trust. Believe, trust. Believe, trust. Right? So it's the difference between going, I believe, um, uh, it's perfect. It's the difference between going, um, being my kid and standing at the, at the tip of a pool and I go, come on, jump, sweetie, jump. And, and then, no. I go, no, 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 go ahead, jump, jump, jump. They go, no. I go, don't you believe I'll catch you? Yeah. So then jump. No. Right? It's, you know what that is? That's called American Christianity. Right? 
That's believe, but no trust. That's going, God, you're incredible. Look, you made the stars in the sky. You, you've, you've given me heaven to look forward to. You've given me the breath of life. But uh, will you hum, can you handle the, you know, the job situation? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, you could make stars. You could, you know, you could give me heaven. But uh, can you help me with this exam? I don't know. See, it's, it's that whole believe trust. Believe trust. Believe trust. Until then, you're just a kid at the, edge of the, at the edge of the pool, and Jesus is going, go ahead, jump. You go, oh, I don't know. And you go, but don't you believe in me? Uh, yeah. Uh, so then jump. Oh, I don't know. See, this, it's, believe trust, believe trust, believe trust. When you start jumping into the arms of Jesus, allowing him to be the very core of your life, since this has already happened, since Jesus is someone that you've dived into his arms, since you died with Christ, you know what it means to die in Christ? It means to trust him and to be in him. You know, when you come to Christ, you know what you don't need? You don't need a little bit better of what you are now. In fact, Jesus wouldn't even be called a savior if you just needed a little bit better. Most people, they go, you know, you go to most people, go, how do you get to heaven? They go, being good. They just need a little bit more. You know, and, and, and of course, they never bother asking, you know, asking themselves, good in comparison to what? Right? Because you're pretty good probably in comparison to me. I'm not so good. Right? But you go, how do you get to heaven? Just be good. And go, no, 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 no. You don't need, let me tell you, you don't need a coach. You don't need a one-upser. You don't need an attaboy. You don't need an encourager. You know what you need? A savior. You don't need a little instruction on how to do a little bit better what you've been doing before. You need somebody to save you. I need it too. I need it too. When a person is at a beach drowning, the last thing that they need is, let me give you some principles about swimming and floating. And just, I'm going to give you some principles. Number one, keep your nose above water. And they go, ah, I need a savior. I do not need a coach. And yet people are drowning in the sea of life. Jesus comes up and he says, you need saving. Oh, come on, that's a little too much for me now. Listen, listen, listen. So Christ, when he saves you, you know what the, the description of that salvation, that transaction? It looks like death. You die and Christ lives in you. Isn't that interesting? Since you died with Christ. In other words, since Christ saved you. Since you identified with Christ. In other words, all of sin nailed to the cross in Christ. You go, all of my wretchedness, all of my dirtiness, all of my shame, all of my guilt nailed to Christ on the cross. Isn't that incredible? Some of us, some of us can't even grasp that. Some of us, that's just too much for our minds to take in. Some of us think that we have to bring something to Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The only, listen, the only thing that you can bring to Jesus in order to be saved is nothing. It's the only thing that you have to bring to Jesus in order to be saved. It's nothing. Unfortunately, most people, nothing is the one thing they don't have. They go, no, 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 I'm going to be a good person. No, 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 I'm getting better. No, 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 I haven't used it. No, 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 no. No, 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 don't you get it? Don't you get it? It's not about you. It's about what he's done in you. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world. You know what the basic principles of this world, at least in America it is. You know what the basic principles of this world? Do better. Do you. Those are the basic principles of this world. It's just, oh, oh, okay. So y- you blew it? Do better. You want to? Do it, because I want you to do you. Right? Have it your way. Right? It's, it's very, it's very me-centered. And in Christ, you go, no, 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 no. I'm not going to try to do better. I'm not going to 
do me, I'm going to, oh wait, I get it. I died in Christ. Christ. Because you, you can't, listen, I do a lot of funerals. One thing I've never seen is somebody go, okay, Alfred, get up out of there. Because you're dead. You're dead if you're in Christ. And you can't move your hands and you can't open your eyes, but you know what you can do? Jesus can live since you're dead. Jesus can reside in you and do for you what you can never do. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, and this is the question, folks, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Why do you still find yourself playing by the rules of this world? Let me, hear, let me tell you a phrase, um, a, a rule of this world, right? And it's a phrase, it's kind of a question phrase. It's, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? No. That's not God's goal. God's goal is not your happiness. You know how I know God's goal is not your happiness? Because some of you, think about this. If your desire for happiness, right, you're two guys, right? Women, use your imagination here. You're two guys, right? And what will make you happy is this one girl. But there's a problem. What will make this guy happy is this girl right here. God's got a dilemma now, doesn't he? Oh no, what's God going to do? Because his whole job is to make us happy. And now he's got one girl for two guys. How is he going to do that? That's not going to happen. I don't know. See, if God's goal was to make you happy, he'd have to make everybody else unhappy. God's goal is not to make you happy. God's goal is to give himself glory. And that we, we discover something incredible, that when we live for God's glory, not our glory, when we live for the glory of God, when we live at Christ at the center, we discover a joy. Notice I didn't say happiness. A joy that we can't hardly explain. Why then do you live according to the, or submit to it's why, though, why, as though you still belong to it, because you don't belong to it. Remember, I'm talking to people who have Christ at the center, who have asked Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior. Why, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? And that's a good question. If you have all the freedom in the world, in Christ, why would you live like a person who's still in bondage. You've heard this story. Um, do you remember a uh, woman eats cat food, found dead in her home. They come in. They go to her home. They find, you know, she's been decayed. Nobody's visited her. It's been a while. Um, she's dead. They start to sort of empty out her belongings and in her attic, they find over $140,000. It's like the 20s, 1920s. You've heard this, right? It's like $140,000. She's eating cat food to survive. Dies of starvation. As tragic as that is, and as tragic as that sounds, it is more tragic to be in Christ and live according to this world. It's tragic to have all the freedom and the joy and the liberty that is found in Christ and go, no, 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 no. Give me cat food. Give me. I want to be a pauper. Tragic. Tragic. Now watch this. Because you're going, but tell me about this freedom. I thought that being in Christ means being chained up. I thought that being, a, you know, the most miserable people I know may be Christians. And I, listen, I don't argue that. Some, I, you know, I'm around Christians all the time, and I'm, you know, some of them are pretty miserable. What can I tell you? But I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about being Christ-centered. I'm talking about being driven by something other than emotions, desires, feelings, thoughts, something other than him, her, that, 
something other than what you see, being driven by Christ. Why would you still eat cat food if he's bought you filet mignon? Now, let's go to verse 8. We're getting to the first part of this in a minute, but we'll go to verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Somebody say History Channel. Somebody say college. Somebody say philosophy class. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is the, listen to me. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive. That hollow means empty. You ever got like those big bunny rabbit chocolate things, right? And you bite into them, there's nothing. Empty. But have you ever had a tootsie roll? Uh, a tootsie pop, what is it called? Um, uh, a t- tootsie pop? Those are a joy. You know, what's the difference between a tootsie pop and the, uh, the, uh, the chocolate uh, bunny? What's the difference? Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 there's something to look forward to, isn't there? The world, listen, listen, the world promises, listen, watch this, here's what the world does, funny, funny thing, right, and I, you know, I mean, so the world baits you to the edge of disaster, baits you to the edge of disaster, and then when you fall over the cliff, go see how stupid they were, baits you to the edge of, so here's what the world, let me, let me, all right, let me talk about something really controversial, because you all came to talk about this today, right, so right, so the world goes, hey, sex, just be, you know, just go ahead and have it, and j- wear protection, and, 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 and do that, right, right, and then, and then you find yourself wanting to die if this person leaves, and the world goes, but just get over it, just keep it moving, or something else, you go, something worse, you find yourself pregnant, or he finds out that you're pregnant, and now you have a real big decision to make, and you go, go, oh my gosh, how did this happen? Anybody know? Right? You ever have that, right? So you, you, you go into, how could this have been? How could this be? And it's just like, I, I don't know, because the world, you know what it does? Baits you to the edge and the ledge of disaster, and then chastises you for going over Oh you, oh, you could just have one. One is not so bad. And then you're walking out with, like, the iPod, ready, ready, you know, the iPad ready to sell it, and, the, and everybody goes, whoa, what happened here? You get this. If you've ever been, if you've ever, right, if you've ever, anybody here who's ever drank for a long period of time, right, and then uh, about eight months into your sobriety or eight months into your clean time, you have a family function, and the very same people who, told, who's, who, like, wouldn't let you into the house, who were like, you know, you were a mess. And I, the very same people who go up to you and say, hey, have one. Go, no, it's like, oh, don't be so over the top. Don't be so exaggerated. Don't be so extreme. Yeah. And you go, and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. So, see, right, because the world, here's what they do. They're hollow. The world, I'm not saying everybody in the world. I'm saying the philosophies of the world are hollow. Have sex, but don't get pregnant. Have sex, but don't have feelings. Don't catch feelings. It's hollow. There's nothing in the center of it. And it's deceptive because it goes, if you do this, you will be happy. And then you find out, oh no, this didn't give me happiness. Anybody ever chased for happy and got it? What did you find? Yeah, you found that happiness moved, right? You, right? Happiness changed its address once you caught it, right? You run, you run for happiness, you catch it, and you're like, this will make me happy, I'm so happy. And you last for like, what, 18 months? And then you're like, I'm so miserable. Can I find something else to do? Can I find someone else to do it with? Happy's a moving target. It's a rough one to find. See to it. In other words, make this your job. See to it. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. 
Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Now, I could honestly, this is so powerful that I could speak on this. You know what this is saying? This is saying that Christ is God. In Christ, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. It means that when you pray, you can pray to Jesus. When you, when you worry, you can ask Jesus for help. When you're concerned about it, when you're, when you're on top of your game, you can celebrate with Jesus. It means that Jesus is God. Verse 10, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Could you imagine? Think about this. If we really believe this, this would change everything. Okay, there, okay. let's see if we could take some mental leaps here. Does anybody here believe that there is and you don't have to just kind of answer this in your head. Don't, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not trying to confront, like, you know, have a confrontation. But I just want you to ask. Okay. Does anybody here believe that there is absolutely no God? Like, it's a complete and utter atheist. There is no God at all. Very few people, I find, are like this. Most people believe there is a God. They don't want to name him or, they, you know, they have other issues. But it just, just, I mean, there's absolutely no God. There's absolutely no creator. There is no God, right? Okay. If we can agree that there is a God, we, don't, we haven't named him. Take the next step. Could we believe that there's a God who would like to have a relationship with us? Again, we're miles away from Christianity here. Just, just a God. Could, could you imagine how good that would be? Like, what, how cool would it be if name your celebrity, he wanted to have, she wanted to have an, a relationship with you, a friendship with you? Wouldn't that be cool? Right? Someone greater than Brad Pitt. Someone greater than actually longs for you. It's God, right? Now let's take another leap, right? So if we can make that leap to here, and some of us can't, and it's cool. I'd love to talk to you. It's, 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 I mean, it's fine. You can't make that leap. Fine. Then, and then believe that God took the initiative in Christ. That's the third leap. That's a rough one. So from, okay, there is a God. Okay, I, I, I'm not sure that I buy this whole Christianity thing, but they, okay, yeah, we can agree there is a God. Second, all right, could there be that he wants a relationship with me? It's not, not just like deism where God kind of created the world and just kind of spun it into existence, but there's an actual personal God. We, we made the, the, the jump from, uh, from atheism to theism, from theism to deism, from deism to a personal God who took the initiative to have a relationship with you. And what if that God took the initiative by sacrificing himself on the cross, bearing all of your guilt, shame, dirt, grime, regret, anger, sin. He took it all upon himself. He goes, you know what? I'll take it. And then that very same God says, not only will I take it, I'll give you something. I'll live in you. I'll live inside you. The Bible is telling us that Christ was God and this God wants to dwell in your heart. He wants to be the center of your life. Could you imagine what kind of... Let me ask you something. If you... I remember I would walk down the street in bad neighborhoods with my brother with great confidence because my brother was bad, man. He was just... He was an animal. Like, you know, it, it just, you know, there, just, I just didn't fear anything when I was with my brothers because he was with me. And I knew that as long as he was with me, nothing could touch me. And I'm talking about with people that I had beef with, and it would be like, all right, because I'm with him. And it didn't matter where I was. I could trust that he could protect me. What would life be like if God wasn't next to you but was in you, leading, guiding, encouraging. Oh, man. It would change everything. It would change everything. We have to keep on going because we've got a lot to do here. Um, uh, and, in Christ, uh, and you have, no, we read that. In, right? And you have been given, we read that, uh, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Now, here's the thing. Anybody know about circumcision? Anybody have an idea what that is? Do I have to explain that at all? 
Okay, right, yeah, painful process, right? Yeah, every man, you know, crosses his legs at this point. Just goes, wow, don't want to talk about that too much. Okay, circumcision. Circumcision is a medical procedure that's practiced today by um, uh, uh, Jewish people, mostly Jewish people. And what it does is it's a reminder of a covenant, an agreement that they have with God. It's not, you know, whether you're for it or against, that's not my point. My point is, is that it began thousands of years ago as a reminder. This is the covenant. This, is, this reminds us that we have a covenant with God. Now listen to this. You and I have a covenant with God that didn't require for us to get cut. But that there was one who went through a much more grievous procedure, dying on the cross for our sins. And when Christ dies for your sins and you receive him in your heart, you don't need an outward expression to say that you're connected with God. Christ has already done it. And he's already in you. That's the covenant. It's Jesus. It's not what you do. Now watch this. This is important for you to understand because I'm telling you, for most of us, this is a real issue. You don't understand what I just said, meaning that Christ is your covenant. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is for you. And because of that, you have full access to God and God lives in you. Listen to me. That means you're free. That means no matter how bad you've blown it. That means no matter what you've done. That means no matter how good you've done. Done it. And he's already in you. That's your life. To forgive you of your sins. And you've committed your life to him. If that's happened, then you are in Christ. And he promised. Hey, you, know if you, if you, you know how you know you don't believe this? Watch this. If when you really blow it, you have a problem praying. If when you really blow it, prayer is tough for you, then you're religious. You're circumcised in other ways, but you're not circumcised in Christ. If, if when you do really good, you think, oh good, God will like me now, then you're religious. You're something other than what we're talking about. If you think that, you, if, you ha- if you need a few days distance or hours distance between your sin and praying or reading the Bible or coming to church, then you're religious. You're something other than what I'm talking about. See, the thing that most people fight against is religion. And I, can't be, I, I cannot tell you how averse I am to religion. I can't tell you how I despise religion. When you do really good, you think, oh, good, God will like me now. Then you're religious. You're something other than what we're talking about. If you think that, you, if, you ha- if you need a few days distance or hours distance between, if that's happened, then you are in Christ. And he promises, hey, you know, if you, if you, you know how you know you don't believe this? Watch this. If when you really blow it, you have a problem praying. If when you really blow it, prayer is tough for you, then you're religious. You're circumcised in other ways, but you're not circumcised in Christ. If, if when you do really good, you think, oh, good, God will like me. That means there's no pit so deep that he's not deeper still. That means there's no sin so great that God is not greater still. Oh, yeah, but you, can't, you don't understand what I've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, God knows. And he's greater than that. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Somebody say all our sins. Anybody know what all means in the Bible? It means all. That's exactly right. No, 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 no. But it can't be this sin, the one right here that no one else can see, that pokes its head out sometimes. Not this sin, right? No, 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 no. Don't you get it? All. Our sins. All our sins. When you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision, um, go to 14. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away. Look at this. Nailing it to the cross. Think about this. What if 
the very thing that if I passed this microphone around, you would not share because you're so ashamed of it. What if Christ said, I'll take that on myself? What if you never did it? What if it, you actually, do you feel guilty about things that other people do? I don't. Like, I don't, I don't feel shame about stuff other people, like, you know, I empathize, I care about, but if I didn't do it, then I don't have to feel any shame. Listen to me. The world says it's not that bad. Don't feel bad about what you've done in the past. And they try to convince you. This is the worldly, traditional way of viewing life. The world says it's not that bad. Your sin's not that bad. Just don't think it's that bad. And Christ says it's worse than you think. So I'll take it with me to the cross. It deserves capital punishment. So I'll take on the sentence. I, it deserves death. And so I'll take it on myself. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers, look at what Christ did as he nailed it to the cross, your sin. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Whenever Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. All of that stuff is dealt with on the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. This is by your religious practices. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration. Oh, wait, I've, I've jumped too far. And having disarmed the powers, and uh, we're going uh, farther than we need to. Um, let's go back to this, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of, over them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, let's go back to verse 6 and 7. Like I said, very Quentin Tarantino-ish. Go back to verse 6 and 7. So then... Since you've been saved in Christ, since Christ is in you, and if you don't know Christ, you can know him now. Since you've given, you've, you've accepted, accepted that Jesus Christ is Lord and God, and he paid for your sins. Since you've confessed your sin unto Christ. Since you've committed your life to him. Since Jesus is all. So then, since that's happened, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, here's the deal. Continue to live in him. Just as he's your center, continue to live in him. Let that influence all of your decisions. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Listen to me. What would happen? What would happen if we really believed the Bible and said that God took our shame away, took our guilt away, took our, our regrets away, took our uh, bitterness away, took our sin away. What would, what would life be like? It would change everything. Um, there's a book um, that has a very interesting premise. To, um, it doesn't matter. You won't read it. But um, the point is, is that in the book, the guy is walking through life, and he gets, um, the guy is walking through life, and he gets arrested. And the, the, the villain in the book is, the, is the, 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 the jail guy, the guy, the guy who holds him. He's never read his rights. He's put in prison. He's never told what his uh, transgression is. And as he's in the jail, the first thing that takes over his heart is bitterness. How could they put me here? How could they? But as he endures day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, he starts thinking, and he's never told. As he grows older, he starts thinking, in the, I'm in here because this is happening. Because have you ever thought that? Something bad is happening because you're a bad girl, or you're a bad boy, or this, is, this must be God paying me back for. Jesus frees you from that. Imagine if you really believed that in fact, you are in Christ and you're liberated and freed in Christ. We have to race. Rooted, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Listen to me. 
the rest of this series is going to teach you how to be rooted and grow in Christ being the center of your life. Could you imagine what that would be like? What would that be like? Center of your life. Could you imagine what that would be like? What would that be like? What would happen if you didn't live for pleasing other people? How would your life change if Christ was? Musicians are going to come up now. What would happen if something other than what is your center now, Christ is your center? What would happen? Listen to me. Life would forever be transformed. Life would never be the same. Imagine what your marriage, imagine what your relationships would take place. So here's what we're going to do. This week, I just wanted to tell you where we're going for the next five or six weeks. I want you, listen to me. Next week, you know what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about what to do with those thoughts that you hear in your head. Do you know the thoughts that I'm talking about? The thoughts that you hear in your head that tell you all sorts of demonic stuff? All right? There was a, 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 a great book. It's called, uh, I love the title. I haven't read it yet. Um, it, but I love the title. It's called um, What You Say When You Speak to Yourself. You know what the book says? It says that over 90% of self-talk is negative. 90% of What would happen? What would happen if we took all those thoughts, all that negative thoughts, and we replaced them as we're Christ-centered? What would happen if... All those ideas about who you think you are, what if those were replaced with something else? Next week, we're going to talk about what do you say when you speak to yourself? You, want, you don't want to miss that. If you've ever heard those voices in your head tell you you're a loser, you've got to go use, you've got to act out, you have to do this, you, you deserve what you're getting. Listen to me. You can have freedom. That's going to be next week. The week after, well, we're going to have a bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about. I want you to come back, and I want you to come for this series as we learn about what is the cross-centered life. Now, does everybody have their communion cup? Everybody should have their communion cup because we're going to take communion. But here's the deal. Um, Gus is going to lead us through um, communion. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk throughout this week with Christ. Here's what I want you to do. I just simply want, as you walk throughout this week... I want you to walk with Christ as a center, praying that Christ would be your center. Here's what I mean by this. That means when you wake up in the morning, I want you to pray, Jesus, would you be the center of my life today? Put a chair by your bed if you have to, to be reminded that Christ is there with you. What would happen? What would happen if you started to, just this week, I'm not asking for seven years or seven months or seven weeks, I'm talking about for seven days, just... Go throughout your day asking Jesus to be the center of your day. What would happen is as those people cut you off in traffic or bumped you in the train station, you go, Jesus, would you be the center? Would you not let my self-centeredness be the center of my life, but would you be the center of my life? What about, what about if you went to work and your boss gave you eight hours of work? and gave you four hours to do it, right? And then you came back to your cubicle, or you came back to your truck, or you came back to your place of business, and, and, and your co-worker said, how are you going to get this done? And you just, you're reminded, oh, Christ is at the center. He's next to me. God knows. God knows how I'll be able to, because Christ is at the center. What would happen? What would happen is if you started to live your days asking Christ to be the center of your life. Let me tell you what would happen. Your worries would be diminished. Your fears would be lessened. Your anxieties would be less. If, if it wasn't all up to you, if Christ was at the center, things would change. The rest of the series, I'm going to teach you I'm going to help you to make Christ the center of your life. You don't want to miss not one of these weeks. I encourage you, come back, bring a friend. We're going to have uh, communion.
I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to find out that the fact is in our lives, something is the center of it. And Lord, I just pray that as we sort of acknowledge that we have a center, that we would not, that we would not stay with the centers of this world that we've been given, but that we would in fact look to make or ask you to be the center of our lives. Lord, would you address our fears? Would you address our anxieties? Would you address our struggles? Would you address our... Lord, we don't want to live a him-centered life or a that-centered life or a her-centered life or an it-centered life. We want to live a a cross-centered life where you're at the center of our being. Help us, O God. Help us to grow in Christ. Help us to love you with all our heart. Help us to see you as glorious and good, wonderful in God. Give us the grace to submit to your will and walk with you on a daily basis, being the center of our days. For we pray in Jesus' name. Like.